Welcome to For the Love of Safety, the show for you health and safety professionals out there, where hosts Justin and Jed talk about their experiences in this fun, frustrating, and rewarding field of occupational health and safety. Let's get to it. Welcome back, Jed. Welcome to 2022. (laughs) 2022 for For the Love of Safety. We wanted to kick off our second half of the season with a pretty cool topic for EHS folks. I think one that potentially causes a little bit of stress if we're all going to be honest and uh, create some of that meat that we have to deal with, but I think perhaps makes us that much better of a professional. So here's the, here's the show topic for tonight. When do you draw the line to impact production? Every single EHS professional is going to have to come across this at some point, no matter what industry you work in, uh, no matter where you're placed, or really no matter probably where you're at in your career arc, this is going to come up. At some point, you're going to be on the floor or out in the field. At some point, it's going to come up where you see a particular situation and you have to gauge how far do I intervene into this? You certainly see something that you want to go talk to the employees about, the workers about, contractors, whatever it might be. But then how far does that extend? When do you actually say this entire operation or significant portion of the operation has to stop? That's a hard call. That is a that is a very hard thing to do. I don't know that it really ever gets easy. I think platitudes can be talked about here to say oh well of course you would you would you would just stop things but i can speak from personal experience just as just by way of introduction i think there is something to be said for a true ehs professional i think there's something to be said for the the best of ehs professionals to know where to put this line we certainly don't want anyone to get hurt or sick, either acutely or chronically. Uh, we, d- we don't want any of that damage to property, damage to business image. Um, we, don't, we don't want any of that. And yet, I think as you mature in your career, or at least this is what I've experienced, I'm always looking for the solutions, or at least I think there could be an argument made to look for the solutions that keep the people safe and and teach them about their exposures and yet have a mind's eye to keep things going. Having this idea and and vision and understanding of the business. uh, We wanna certainly talk about a couple examples tonight on just the real dealings with that, how hard it can be, how challenging it could be, but to encourage you folks out there in in dealing with this this, uh, subject, because it certainly has come up, we know it has. And it will continue to. Yeah. And I also think that, that folks make the mistake of thinking that this is a very easy line too. you know, that they're kind of taught or they see, yep, you know, definitely if someone's going to die, you need to stop it. But that's not really what we're talking about, right? We're not talking right. about those obvious ones where, you know, somebody is standing on the third railing of a scissor lift. They don't have anything on and they're leaning over trying to grab. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about those times where you have to make a judgment call and put in risk to the individual versus risk to the business as well and where you know where does that 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 come from and the more 
the longer that I've, I've been in this profession and with all the experiences I have, that is not mm. an easy decision in any way, shape or form. Um, and, I, and like you said, we're going to go through some examples. I, th- I think we've got a, you know, j- just a couple of them. This is a topic we could go on to for days, you know, and go into every single nuance. But we really want to focus on just a few of them there and, and just have, have good discussion. I, I think for the most part, you and I tend to be aligned with this um, just because of the, the way that, that our risk mindsets are. But I think that there's enough nuance to where it's sure. going to be a good conversation so Jed, why don't why don't you give us one of those examples um, that that you've come across? Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the chief things that comes to mind, and something that I even recently dealt with, uh, still dealing with, is lockout tagout. You know, I, I uh, am back into a throughput production environment. I'm back into this very real world that the money that takes care of our families and takes care of our businesses or takes care of the business, I should say, the money to be made really does depend on the line moving. And when you have to engage in true lockout tagout, you do run the risk to shut the line down. And so lockout tagout, we obviously know is important. And what's really interesting in a manufacturing kind of throughput production environment is so many people will tend to lean on interlocks, or at least my experience is they will lean on these lower order controls and pretend that those are going to keep them safe. And so we come in as EHS folks and say, well, though that's not actually true. Those are not energy isolating devices. We actually need to apply lockout tagout here. Well, the whole world comes crashing down at that point. I have to stop the machine. I have to stop the line to do this. I've always done this. Nothing's ever happened. So-and-so told me I could do this. Look, I even have multiple interlocks opened. Isn't that enough? You know, I'm actually going to have to lock this machine out. You know, I find this funny, you know, consequently, the shortcuts they want to take still impact the line. They still impact production. And yet we're, we're willing to chance those things on a half-baked means of control when the alternative is if those half-baked means fail, where lockout tagout would have resulted in the protection of that employee in whatever task they were performing where it was needed, then why didn't we do that in the first place? But yeah, I still don't even think that's the issue because to a degree, Justin, as you mentioned earlier, we're not talking about the obvious ones. I think even most lockout tagout situations are obvious. The, the ones that I see in just this recent one that I've been dealing with is you have employees in a space and it's going to cause issues for them to be where they are. And lockout tagout is the suitable means to protect them. Rotating parts, uh, potential pieces of uh, the production process coming down the conveyance. Okay, we, we really ought to shut this down to let these couple individuals do their work without the worry of those things cycling or turning on. This is a lockout tagout environment. And yet that, that impacts the rest of the line. So here's where the the gray comes in. At what point do you draw the line to say, yes, I will shut this whole line down? Or is there any merit for us as EHS folks to try to figure out ways on the fly to try to keep production going, maybe at a slower rate, while not sacrificing the safety of the individual? That's, that's That's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. 
And you really need to understand the way the equipment works and the way the line runs in order to make that type of a call. And I, I've seen typically folks that shut down entire lines is that they don't understand where the part that they're looking at falls within that production process, nor do they understand how it's tied in maybe to a different part of the machine, especially in very, very large machines where maybe there's there's different aspects of it. Maybe the machine does five different things and you can lock out each one of those things individually and still allow the other parts to continue. But if you don't understand that, if you didn't write the lockout procedure, or if you're not truly understanding it, you're just relying on the maintenance guy to know you're not going to be able to make those decisions. Uh, the other thing that, that I find runs into that is speed does not equal safety. So just because something goes slow sure. does not mean it can't kill you. You know, I think people, when they, when, when they think of something, mo and I've seen this um, in HVAC systems. Well, it's not really HVAC system. It's a, it's a big machine called a dryer. It's got a desiccate wheel that rotates. I'm, and when I mean slow, I mean, you know, real slow. It's, it's like the every every movie you've seen where where the uh, you know a comedy where a guy's on on one of those those big machines that you know levels out the asphalt. Yeah, yeah. It's coming right to him, and yeah. the guy's screaming. <laughs> it takes like five minutes to get there. I think it was Austin Powers actually. Um, people most of the time think of like a slow piece of equipment like that, but that's not necessarily true. All it takes is just one one little grab of that and just because it's going slow doesn't mean it can't take you in with it and rip a limb off because it's got so much power behind it you know that's kind of a tangent there but regardless if you are able to isolate the piece of equipment that you're working on from cycling or doing whatever it's supposed to do and get rid of that potential energy that's there I don't see a, a reason to shut down an entire piece of equipment if the part that you're working on can be isolated from the rest of it you know like mm -hmm. kind of like an appendage you know at the same time if you can't do that it you know you, you kind of run the risk but it is also is are you exposing anything there so if it's an electrical hazard not necessarily any type of a mechanical part of it it's just you know an, ele an electric electric part are the are the contacts covered sufficiently and are you not going to be messing with that part to where you can work on something else. To me, if you can t truly isolate what you're doing from the hazards that are associated with it, I don't see a, a, a reason to shut down an entire piece of equipment. Yeah. I think that's the view that ultimately people I'm going to argue need to hold. Is there a way to keep things going while still being able to keep people safe, fast, slow, lock out a portion or the whole, I think the idea of business and honestly, safety people in business, the business has to exist for us to have jobs and for us to do safety things. And so if we're not gunning for, if we're not supporting the continuance of the operation, honestly, what are we even there for? You know, I, I, so I think that's the mind's eye. I think we have to figure out ways to try to look at the situation to say, okay, I obviously don't want to do something unethical. I certainly don't want it to propose something that's not safe within my current understanding of the situation. Uh, but I also want to keep this thing rolling. I want to keep this thing going. I want to keep people safe, but also producing. I think that's where we ought to be. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here, though, and, and trying to, you know, certainly keep things confidential as far as names and companies. But, you know, talk about a really real situation, a very real situation I'm, that I'm dealing with. Because you had mentioned earlier, Justin, and I, and I think it's right. 
you need to have the understanding of the machines and the equipment. Okay, where can we lock out what without sacrificing too much of the line or all of the line potentially? This employee will probably never even know that I'm speaking about this situation and, and trying to commend it. Um, I just get the sense that that's what we ought to do uh, as we as we look at this. But uh, the employee might know more about that machine than you do. And so when you see an exposure and you want to shut down a portion of the machine and you want to, and maybe that impacts the line and they say, well, why would we do that? Uh, why not just shut everything down and just let, you know, just let this thing get done. I think that's another nuanced part of this. Where do you, where do you trust that employee and say, okay, let's, let's shut the whole line down. And yet there's, and that's a tough thing to do. Well, you, you, you have a personality aspect no matter which way you go, right? You've got employees that are going to think that you're doing too much and you've got employees that think you're going to, that you're doing too little. There's not a whole lot of folks that'll, you know, totally agree with you. Those types of situations, you have to do what you feel is best for the individual and the business. And to be perfectly honest with you, if that, if the person that does know more of that machine, you can't get them on board with what you're doing, you're going to have to do the best you can without them. Because no matter which decision, which way you go, you really don't want, you don't want to compromise any of your ethics, any of your values, because you're afraid that this individual is not going to like you or that this individual is going to cause more issues as time goes on. You know, you have to do what you know is right. And sometimes what you know is right is, is there's no need to shut down the production line, which seems, which may make you appear like, you know, you're not impartial. Um, but that's not necessarily true. And that opinion that that individual is going to have of you, you know, that might be one of the sacrifices that you have to make in order to do what you know is right. On the flip side of that, you could have somebody who, you know, you're like, look, I, I don't understand enough about this machine. I understand what you're saying, but, you know, I'm just not comfortable shutting this part down. So I'm going to shut down the whole line. And that individual is, you know, may never come to you again for help <laughs> mm -hmm. or, or may, may even complain, but you have to do what you feel is right. As long as you've gotten all the information that you possibly can, like, don't be closed minded, you know, hear them out. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. So I guess that's the caution I would give there in that situation is when you come with employees, unfortunately, not everyone is going to like you. Yeah. <laughs> so to tease that out a little bit more, what, what's your viewpoints or thought on when we draw this line? Mm -hmm. Is our default to try to understand the needs of production and safety when it comes to these kinds of events? Or should we default to we're going to just shut it down and let the operations folks kind of see their way through the business continuity end. Because I can tell you, Justin, that can create some animosity. Yeah. And, and if, if you are detected in the least of wanting to, let's using their vernacular, take the side of production. If they detect that in the least, you have become essentially the enemy of the safety uh, realm 
even though that is not at all what we are trying to do. And so I guess I'm, I guess just before, <laughs> before I, before I hear your thoughts, I guess my answer is my default is to try to be the helper is, is trying to not shut down unless it is absolutely necessary, but that's my default. So believe it or not, and I think this is going to surprise you a little bit. My default is always to safety, but I do it in my mind. I don't necessarily do it out loud. So when I go and look at something, when somebody gets me, um, typically I'm pretty quiet. I mean, I am not talking about a life-threatening something is going on right this moment, right? I'm talking if somebody comes to me and says, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Before things happen and you've got time to kind of figure out what's going on. In my mind, the first thing I do is I shut everything down. And then from there, I begin working my way back is to say, okay, you know, what does that mean for the program, for this program? What does that mean for this program? And I kind of begin walking myself back to a point where I'm comfortable. Once I'm there, um, I typically give my opinion and I, my job, in, in my opinion, the the, the tiered part of my job definitely always defaults to to making sure that person goes home the same way they came in. The part that I think kind of makes me seem like I'm in production every now and then is, you know, maybe my opinion of the same as they came in is not necessarily what they think. So, and, and you know, for me, a paper cut isn't that big of a deal. And am I okay to risk a small injury like that so that we don't have to shut down production? And the answer is, is going to be yes, as long as, you know, we've done the due diligence and we're not breaking any laws. We're not doing anything immoral. We're not doing anything unethical. We're just willing to accept a higher level of a potential risk that may not impact that person's ability to do their job or to live their life. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that kind of answers the question. It's kind of long-winded way <laughs> of saying uh, I default to to the employee well-being and then work my way back. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. it's it, Honestly, it's one of the reasons why it, it's funny. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm an outgoing person, but I tend to be very quiet when people are, are you know, in situations like this. And it's because I'm processing it in my head and um, sometimes saying things out loud before I have it or I have it ready to go. That's gotten me in trouble a few times. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just as, as another example, I, it was a piece of mobile equipment that, uh, that I had dealt with in my past, let's just say. And there was safety critical item on this piece of equipment that wasn't functioning. It was the horn. Now, backup alarms, travel alarms, all that stuff was fine. The horn wasn't working. A note had been sent in. Hey, this needs repaired. Repair company hasn't come out for some time. Uh, middle manager is asking, hey, where, you know, any any news on the repairs? We would like to get this thing back to full operation. Then the alternatives start coming up. Hey, can we uh, basically just use a spotter for this? And even though I'm saying the helper my default was in, in the responses back to these folks was, well, look, if it's missing a safety critical piece of equipment, the answer is simple. It's tagged out. It's locked out. We can't use that thing until it's done. 
And then here's the side though, and and maybe I'm just one of these these kind air quotes. So for <laughs> folks who can't see it on the show, one of these kind of uh, safety professionals, one of the other middle managers, or actually not a middle manager, but high middle, a <laughs> senior manager, I guess, uh, asked me to come by and say, can I please show you what we're dealing with? And at the end of that conversation, looking at the situation involved, the the distance, the load, what they were using the piece of equipment for, and this was inside the you know, manufacturing environment, I made the judgment call to say, given what you've laid out to me, using that machine in that form, I don't have a problem with the alternative presented. Please mush on. I think that's okay. I am going to make the judgment call that I will support you in that. This is what I mean as, as trying to be, trying to be the helper is exercising as good of judgment as I can bring to the table looking at the situation and where I can allow things to move forward, I'm going to allow things to move forward. That is my default. If that makes me a somehow second rate safety professional, uh, perhaps it does. But the principle there is to, at the end of the day, make sure that no one sustains a life altering injury, but getting the work done. And I, I think that's where, that's where, that's what I mean on the default, my default. I I don't think that makes you second rate at all. And I think we're kind of saying the same thing. As you know, I've never shut down production except for one time. And actually I, I I did do it one time. I shut down production because typically I I'm, I'm with you. I default on, on the other side where, you know, I'm comfortable with a level of risk because I know that the work has to get done. Um, and I don't remember if you were here for this or if we were working together at the time. Um, we may not have been, but there was a, an incident with a battery where an individual um, in, was using metal tools, contacted both terminals, and actually uh, burned the ring into the finger. Were you there for that? Do you remember this? No, I thought you were going to talk about the bus bar with the wrench when they welded that wrench to the bus bar it was the same thing because that the bus bar was the first injury it was the first incident that occurred and if you remember we shut it down but we we were it was a soft one and we didn't really follow um you know we, we were kind of more comfortable with them going yeah we screwed up we're going to make these changes but what ended up happening is six months later the same person did something similar uh, it wasn't a bus bar. They were using a, a metal tool and they had forgotten to take the ring off. And the tool had contacted the ring and it burned into the finger. I shut down the entire production line after that. And I had program managers just pissed. But you know what? In, that, that, was, that was it. That was it. And we, uh, we ended up having to change the way that processes worked. Um, they started instituting a, a process, a procedure where you couldn't go from one step to the other without acknowledging that you had followed certain policies and procedures when it came to electrical safety. But that mm-hmm. was the only time I can remember doing it. And, and the employee even was, was a little 
you know, perturbed, like, look, I'm the one that messed up. Don't do this. I said, it doesn't matter. The system failed you, <laughs> right? Yes, I understand you made a mistake, but guess what? You're human. You're going to make mistakes. So what did we build into the system to help us prevent something like that? Especially when a mistake, when it comes to electricity is typically pretty bad. Yeah. Fatal. And, you know, the, the, exactly. And there are controls. There are simple things that we can put in. So, you know, that understanding the, the impact to, to production that had, I, I don't regret that decision in any way, shape or form. But the, the situation we had before that, I wish I was a little more strict because then this individual probably wouldn't have gotten hurt later on. So, I mean, there, there are examples of where the risk is worth it. And I think that's that's kind of what you're saying is is you you utilize a risk matrix kind of in your head mm-hmm. of of you know what is acceptable and when is it you know how do we get work done when at the same time you do not want to have this individual injured to the point where they can't perform their job or li- or have a livelihood or impact something they you know they're doing at home mm. and a lot of situations with lockout tagout. Um, fall in and out of that category because some of the things that we lock out and tag out, it's it, they're not life threatening. You know, they could you know maybe cause a minor injury, but but not a major one. So, at what level of of, of risk are you comfortable? Um, you know, to allow that that production to continue to go. I think that's spot on. And you know, the other thing that I've noticed, and and maybe the other folks out there listening to these episodes have as well. I have seen the kind of thing that we are talking about, the kind of thing that I know every EHS person deals with out there. I only see this thing typically happening when we don't have the time to sit down and talk about the plan or talk about the work. In fact, I have never dealt with this kind of a situation when we have had adequate communication. Even if I have a individual, an employee who is just an absolute nut bar or is stubborn beyond all stones, having the time for that individual to talk and, and voice whatever they think, and honestly, maybe find something that's worth unearthing and putting into place. I have never dealt with this up until this point when we've had time to have adequate communication. It's amazing what comes up just in the heat of the moment. And perhaps that is a platitude. Perhaps that is nothing new under the sun kind of material. But using using that as at least encouragement, if anything else, to try to pre-plan these activities and get the right people in the room to talk about the work that we're going to be doing and the work that is done on a pre-planning basis to try to mitigate some of these things because I can think of the example that I kind of talked about a little bit ago with the lockout tagout situation and the line conveyance. That work was supposed to be done a day ahead of time, but because of weather constraints, the contractor couldn't show up for an extra day. And there was planned outage. Production wasn't going to be impacted. Well, all of a sudden now it is. And that communication was really fuzzy and then they show up and then I find what I find. And so I make a judgment call in the heat of the moment and the employee who knows the equipment knows the line telling me this is insensible. I have to stand my ground and say, I I want them to get their work done. I want this plant to keep running. 
to the degree it can. That's the way we're going to do it. And uh, my goodness, if you can pre-plan that out, all of that goes away. Yeah. And it actually brings up, it also solves a point that you made earlier where you said, you know, you could, you lose that individual that thinks that you're, you know, you're part of production. That pre-planning is critical so that they can see your thought process and they can understand where it goes and it gives them a chance to see how your mind is working and maybe not jump to conclusions as to a decision that you made because they see all the information leading up to it and might even come to the same one that you do. So I 100%, I think all of this can be avoided if, if we all can have time to sit down and figure it out. Um, you know, I, I can, I can hear some of our listeners now going, yeah, if only, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and nine times out of 10, you're going to be in the field making that judgment. But you know, in my opinion, and like I said, What's important is that you don't do anything illegal, unethical, or immoral. And you make the best decision that you can, and then you stand by that. Because I'll tell you now, if you waft back and forth and ho and hum, it doesn't matter which decision you make. No one's going to have confidence in it because you don't seem to know. You haven't really seemed to make up your mind, you know? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. We we don't want to... There, no, there has to be as much conviction behind the decision that you make as possible uh, is how I see it. I think people at the end of the day, some people are just going to hate everything that you do because they're sour mm-hmm. and you can't worry about that. I deal with that all the time because I take that stuff personally, not in an angry way, but the, you know, like, oh man, maybe I did make the wrong call or maybe I'm not uh, doing what I should be doing. Well, no, you approach the situation with conviction um, and if there is room to grow and learn for me, and there certainly is as an EHS professional for the next time, um, I want to make that, I want to make that improvement. But, um, I think people at the end of the day and where I was going with this is more often than not, more people will respect a convictional presence than a loose one. Yes. I will, will give fair warning though. Make sure that you're not so closed that if new information is presented to you that didn't factor into your decision mm-hmm. that you don't listen to it. Yeah. You know, always, always have that. I, I guess humility is the best way to describe it. I think you know, so. Just, and I actually, so yeah. on the example that we've been talking about, I went back to the employee and said, look, I, I want, I want to talk about that. You know, can we, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is you want to get on the table, you know, let me hear it. And I think most people will, will will perceive what you're trying to do and and appreciate that oddly enough this person didn't they took they took the <laughs> opportunity to uh slice the throat so to speak but um yeah i do think that's few and far between i think most people can pick that up and 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 see that you really do care and you really do want to get better um on understanding the entire picture so i, I totally agree you know it's yeah. to approach it with humility is i think one of the best things you can do well, Jed, I, I thought that was a great discussion that we went through. You know, we talked about where we draw that line between um, stopping production and allowing things to go. We talked a lot about risk, a lot about being able to to make decisions ahead of time are much better than, than doing it in the moment. Um, but if you do it in the moment, make sure that you're convicted and make sure that you have, um, that you still have that little bit of humility to allow new information to help you. 
kind of sway that. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to the second part of this season. We've got a lot of great topics coming up. We're going to try to have a few more guests on the show. And uh, we appreciate everyone's support and everyone continuing to listen. So much. And, uh, mm. you know, if you have any questions or comments, please, please, please reach out. Feel free to email us and um, we'll catch you at the next episode. And there you have it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to For the Love of Safety. You may always reach out to either Justin or Jed by email at fortheloveofsafety at gmail.com. That's the number four the love of safety at gmail.com health and safety is fun it's frustrating but it is so rewarding we'll see you again soon here at for the love of safety